The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. So I've been a pastor now for um, 11 and a half years, and in that time I've heard people confess all kinds of stuff, um, all, all, all sorts of, of crazy things, uh, share all kinds of brokenness from their past or sin struggles in, in, in the present, but, but not once has anyone ever come to me as a pastor and said, I spent too much money on myself. You know, I, in fact, reading materialism, they are ruining my life a little bit, and it's affecting my soul. It's affecting my relationship with God. It's, it's impacting my family and, and those around me, and something has to change. Nobody's ever said that. Um, and, and yet, here's what we have to consider. Jesus talks about greed and materialism a lot. Okay? Um, in fact, some would say that he talks about it 10 to 20 times more than, than other sins. He talks about it more than heaven and hell combined. And he says, <laughs> no one ever thinks they're doing it. Um, and if that's the case, listen, we would be wise to, to perhaps start with the assumption that maybe, just maybe, it's a problem for us. In greed materialism. Uh, Jesus thinks it's a huge problem. But no one ever thinks it's a problem for them. And including the man in this passage, the man in the crowd, Luke 12, 13. He, he comes to Jesus, innocent enough, right? And, and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And boy, did he get a careful, right? Uh, and, and we could read this, we say, Gee, what, what's the big deal, Jesus? I mean, seriously, he, he's just asking for his part of the inheritance. But Jesus knows better than that, doesn't he? But Jesus looks right through what seems to be an, an, innocent, um, an innocent request to arbitrate a family dispute. He looks right through and he sees the greed in this man's heart. It's there. And, you know, this man might, even, he might not even know that it's there, but it's there. It's, it's lurking in, in the passing of his parents, perhaps. The inheritance is bringing it out. You ever seen this happen? I have. You know, I, I have seen 50-year-old siblings who otherwise get along just fine. Who are otherwise doing just financially fine in, in their life. I've seen them go to war over splitting the proceeds five ways of the sale of their passing parent's car that's not worth $10,000. Several relationships, family relationships over who gets what from mom and dad's house. Hold crutches for decades. It happens, doesn't it? And we look at that, you hear that, we say, well, that never happened to me. That's what everyone always says. Which is why Jesus has so much to say about this. It's a huge deal to him. We never think it's a problem for us. Sure, the people struggle with greed and materialism, but not me, we think. Not me. And well, let's look at this together this morning. I want to ask you to do something. I, I, I want to ask you to to start with the assumption that, that maybe, not just maybe, it's a problem for you. Again, Jesus hits this thing over and over. We'd be foolish to think that maybe, just maybe, we need to, we'd be foolish not to think that maybe, just maybe, we need to keep these words for ourselves. What words exactly? Well, in this passage, Jesus makes it clear. He, he, makes, he makes a point about materialism, okay? And then secondly, he offers a warning against materialism. 
He makes a point and he warns us. And then lastly, he tells us why. Okay, so the point, the warning, and the why. That's what we're looking at today. The gospel and materialism. Let's start with the point. It comes through the, the parable itself, which begins in verse 16, Luke 12, 16, if you don't have it open in your lap already. And, and this parable, it, it pictures to us a wealthy farmer who is completing an incredible harvest. Right? This is what all the farmers are praying for right now, my famous farmers. They're planting probably in the field right now. And one of the things that they're longing for is a plentiful harvest, right? Lots of bushels per acre. Well, that's what's going on here. They've had, this man has had, this wealthy farmer has had an incredible harvest. And I want you to know two things. We're, we're told first that he was a rich man. And, and secondly, we're told that before he has the incredible harvest. You see that in the text? And so you've got a wealthy farmer to begin with who then encounters an extremely plentiful harvest, meaning, to, to put it crassly, the rich is getting richer, aren't they? And yet, evidently, he doesn't see himself as a rich man to begin with. That comes out, you know, here in a little bit with his actions after the harvest. But we've got this wealthy man with now an even greater abundance of wealth coming in. He's got more wealth than he knows what to do with. And you say, that sounds like a good problem now, doesn't it? And don't be so sure. Okay, because what he decides to do is, is tear down his old barns, build bigger ones, and store it all up. And again, you might be thinking, well, what's the problem with that? I mean, he can do whatever he wants to with his crop. It's, it's his abundance, but uh -huh. <laughs> it's not his, is it? Remember last week? Everything is God's, in including this man's abundance. But he doesn't understand it that way, does he? Not, not at all. In fact, if you read through here carefully, you will find 11 first person pronouns in this guy's little financial depth talk to himself. Okay? Listen, he says, what shall I do? What am I going to do? For, for I have nowhere to store up my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all of my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, congratulations. You have ample goods now. Laid out for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Now look at this man. He's not concerned with using his wealth wisely. The, the repeated use of I and my, it points instead to this sort of ingrained selfishness. He's not trying to serve God with his newly received abundance. That's nowhere in there. He doesn't praise God for it. He doesn't ask God, hey, how should I use this? He's not trying to figure out how to be a blessing to others with it. He's not even really interested in living a fuller life for himself. He doesn't build a bigger house, just a bigger barn. He's not spending it right now. What's he doing instead? Storing it up. Why? So that he can't look at verse 19 in your Bible. What's he chiefly concerned with? Relaxing. Eating, drinking, being married. In, in other words, he's storing it up so that he can rest securely. But he's thinking more, more, more for me, 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 so that I can relax, relax, relax. 
Not have to worry about anything anymore. You know? You just enjoy life now. That's what he thinks. Finally, I can relax from all the stress. You know, I, I can relax from not knowing if I've got enough. I can, I can relax from having to worry about next year's crop. You know, it's unpredictable out there. The weather and farming, like it's, it's unpredictable. Now I, can, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm good. I'm secure. I, I can eat some really good food. I can drink some. I, mean, I, can, I can buy the good stuff now. I can enjoy myself. And look, it's not just a superficial relaxing and enjoying. Um, did you see that? He, he's talking to his, to his soul. Look, look at the scripture. He, he thinks at the, at the innermost portion of who he is, he thinks, I'm secure now. Now I have joy. Security and pleasure, see? And God said to him, Fool. Which is the Bible's way of saying, you idiot. <laughs> fool. It's not good in case you're wanting to be called a fool by God. Fool, this night, your soul is going to be required of you. And the things that you prepared, who's it going to be? In other words, you have made the wrong thing the focus of your life. See, the point of this parable is that it is foolish. Foolish to find your security and pleasure in anything other than God. That's the point. And listen, we, we hear that, right? I, I, I know how you hear that. We, we hear that and we say, that's right, it is foolish to do that. This man's a fool. What an idiot. But you and I are not that much different, are you? Look, 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 at, look at him again. He's wealthy, but he doesn't see himself that way. He doesn't look as if everything is God's. He's finding security and pleasure in wealth, and all he really longs for, the center of his being and his soul, is a carefree life. Careful now, because that can describe us, can't it? You know, wealthy but not seeing ourselves that way. You know, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that we never see the greed and the materialism in our own life is sociological. All of us live in some particular socioeconomic bracket. We do. Which most often determines where we live. Think about it. It, it. it determines what kind of neighborhood or, or where or even how we school our kids. We get embedded into the social fabric of it all, which means our friends, our peers, the people that we're doing life with, we're all in it together. And when you look around within your little sphere of the world, you can always find someone, can you? you, you maybe even quite a few people who have more than you do. What are you doing? You're comparing yourself to those more bracket. You're justifying yourself. And, and even if you look around and you find yourself closer to the top of that socioeconomic bracket, you've always got one eye on the rich and famous that the TV and, and the internet likes to shove, in, shove into our faces, right? And the result is that we compare ourselves much more to Hollywood than we do to Haiti. We convince ourselves we're not, we're not wealthy. It's materialistic. Listen. The Kardashians. That's who's got a problem. You know what I'm saying? Like that's if you want, if you want to see greed materialism, look no further than, than there. They're the ones with the problem, not me. But you don't have to be wealthy. In the eyes of America, 
to be like the rich fool in this parable. You don't have to be wealthy to fail to live as if everything is God's. We talked about it last week, we see it again here, but you and I, just like the man in this parable, we fail at this, don't we? We fail at living our life under the truth that everything is His. Not unlike the, the rich fool in the passage, we, we find a sense of security, don't we? A, a sense of pleasure and having more and what many of us really long for. At the center of who we are, be honest, is a carefree life. But God here, he says, listen, you're doing it wrong. You're a fool. You're making the wrong thing the focus of your life if that's how you're living. See, what this parable underscores for us is that, man, life is fragile. It's absolutely fragile. It is, it is uncertain. This life is. Your life can be taken from you at any moment. You know, I don't know this to be true, but probably somebody the other day just passed like the two-week threshold. They're fully vaccinated now. Probably just happened, and they're in a car accident and died. This life is uncertain, friends. And so that sense of insecurity that you feel, listen, it's real. But seeking to pacify it, seeking to satisfy it with money, with possessions, with more, it's like putting a band-aid on cancer. It's not going to work. And so Jesus, secondly now, he warns us. He warns us. It says, he, he said to them, he, he said this, not just to the brother wanting his inheritance, who was probably already well enough off like the rich man in this parable, he, he said this so that everyone in the crowd, you see it? Everyone in the crowd, he goes, including you and me, would hear it. Take care. And be on your guard against, what's the next word? All. All covetousness. Why? Well, because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's why. Now, let's break this down just a little bit, okay? First, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard. Those are two separate things, aren't they? He doesn't just say take care. He doesn't just say be on your guard. And he says, take care and be on your guard. See, the, the take care portion here against covetousness, it, it has the sense of watch out for it. Okay? Keep, keep an eye on it. Um, it's like occasional defense. I, I grew up in the country, uh, which means I could drive to school when I was 14, uh, which as a dad of teenagers now, I really think we ought to rethink that law. It seems ridiculous. Um, but uh, every time I leave to drive to school, Okay? Um, if my dad was at home, he, he would always say the same thing. Watch out for the intersections. Right? And, and you know, it, it, every mile out, out in the country, there's an intersection. That's a dangerous place to drive. Uh, that's a dangerous place in country road driving, especially if the corn is tall, and, and, or if there's no stop signs sometimes. You've heard of four-way stop signs because you live in the city. Have you heard of four-way no stop signs? That's the country, okay? And, and so every mile or so, I, I need to watch out. I need to take care against those intersections. It's not something you're doing continuously, but you're keeping an eye out for it. In the same way, Jesus says, keep an eye out for covetousness. Not at the intersections, but at the dangerous times, right? Like when your neighbor gets a new car. When that friend that you follow on Instagram 
redecorates your living room? Mm -hmm. Or when your coworker gets the raise? When your kids' friends get to go to that camp or or take that trip, it's just a little it's just a little too far out of your budget, right? When someone passes away and there's an inheritance, when a financial windfall comes your way, take care. Jesus says, watch out for it. These are dangerous intersections or covetousness may arise. But, but then remember, Jesus doesn't just say take care. He, he doesn't just relegate this to the realm of occasional defense. No, he says, be on your guard. Oh, or, guard yourself. Another translation says, guard yourself. And the sense here is taking positive action to ward off an opponent. Listen, if you ever watch basketball, Okay, and like really good defense in, in particular, what you see is that defender right up in the face of the opponent, right? My high school basketball coach used to tell us to slap the floor. I'm not going to do that this morning because I might pull something, but he told us to slap the floor and get low, get your butt down, your hands up, and you're moving all over the place, and you're, you're not letting them move. You're all over them like sting on through, he would say, right? And in the same way, Jesus says, be on guard against covetousness. And, boy, this is, this is harder than taking care of, we're honest with ourselves. Uh, most of us will we'll recognize when we start lusting after, you know, our, our friend's new shoes or, um, you know, that, that new home decor that we saw on Instagram. But we, we can feel that sense of inner greed kind of welling up in us. And we don't always see it right away, but eventually we realize, oh, 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 you know, the reason I'm feeling so dissatisfied with my own life it's because I've been paying a little bit too much attention to someone else's. <laughs> That's social media in a nutshell, by the way. But listen, when that happens, we got to turn from it. Taking care. Taking care, but then being on guard. Taking positive action to ward off the opponent. Our minds and our lives don't traffic in that lane quite as frequently, do they? I mean, we do this in other areas as Christians. You know what we call it? Accountability. And we will proactively ask one another, don't we? Or maybe in our gospel communities, what's it looking like for you right now to walk closely with Jesus day by day? We ask that question, don't we? Um, how have you been spending time in the Word lately? You know, uh, tell me what prayer has, has looked like for you recently. But who is someone that you're trying to pursue with the gospel? In your life, we'll ask these questions. They're pretty safe questions, although it's, you know, oh, evangelism. Oh, hey, wow, easy now. You're starting to get personal. Listen, we'll even ask about sexual lust, especially among the men. We need to grow this among the women in our church. But amongst the men, we have a really good community around here who will press in, who will ask, who will hold accountable. Hey, how's it going with your with your thought life? Sexual lust. Pornography. How's that? How's that going? But listen, when was the last time you asked someone, or they asked you, are you winning the battle against materialism? Hmm. How are you doing with giving? Have you been working to even increase that? Has your giving lately has it been generous? Has it been sacrificial? Has it been proportional? Has it been cheerful? 
Or, or, how many of you have, have actually had this conversation? Hey, that building fund that's going on right now? How are, you, how are you supporting that? How are you giving to that? Have you been able to contribute? You know, how many of you are looking forward to having conversations about money and giving in your gospel communities during this series? Hmm? How many of you are avoiding the topic altogether? Who knows? Let's pray. We're just going to have a prayer night, you know? Jesus thinks it's a huge problem. No one ever thinks it's a problem for them, and yet we would desperately prefer not to talk about it, wouldn't we? How would you say you're doing it being on guard? What tangible things? Remember, it's positive action. What are the ongoing positive actions you're taking to be on guard? Is there anyone that you're following on social media that you need to stop following because of what it stirs inside of you? Are there discipleship questions and conversations that you need to add to your repertoire? Or you need to ask somebody to ask you? And say, would you hold me accountable on this screen? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Nobody likes to talk about money. It's uncomfortable. And this is exactly why Jesus talked about it so much, because he knew we need to hear this from him over and over again. He knows how important it is, and yet none of us really think it's a problem. Take care. Be on guard against, next part now, all covetousness. Did, did you notice the word all there in your text? Yours might say all forms of covetousness or greed, all, all kinds of greed, something like that. The ESV just has all. Why is that there? Why, why not just say take care and be on guard against covetousness? Well, because there's a lot of forms of covetousness. That's why. In fact, if you do a word study, in, in the Bible on this sometime, it's all over the place. From Jesus here in the Gospels, right, to, to Ahab desiring David's vineyard in 1 Kings 21, David desiring Bathsheba, Samuel's sons taking bribes, Achan hiding the treasure, Jacob defrauding Esau for his father's blessing, Lot even in choosing the land of Jericho, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Eden desiring the forbidden fruit. Coveting, you see, always says God isn't enough. His provision is not enough. He's holding out on me. I need to take things into my own hands. i got to watch out for me. Instead of resting in the total security and absolute pleasure that we have in Christ. Take care, church. Be on guard against all covetousness. Why? Well, because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. That's why. Or to put it in the words of verse 21, listen, there is a difference, an eternal difference, between laying up treasures for yourself versus being rich toward God. See, here's what Jesus knows. He knows that money, he, he knows that money is not the real problem. He, he knows that it's a, what we would call a surface idol. What you do with money isn't the real problem. It's just the avenue through which a deeper idol seeks fulfillment. What's the deeper idol? Well, it's the impulse beneath your behavior. It's the, 
and we use this phrase around here, it's the sin beneath the sin. See, underneath greed, underneath covetousness, underneath materialism, something else is lurking. For some, it's control. And money is the avenue, it's the means by which you seek to control your world and your life. If you just have enough, just have more, you'll be in control, and you'll be okay, you think, safe, secure. For others, the deeper idol is approval. And money is the avenue to get there. You want access to a social circle or the, the next socioeconomic bracket up or the neighborhood over so that you have to have more now, not merely because you're greedy, but because you long for approval. You want others to look upon you and say, that idol finds fulfillment, more money, more power. Or, or just good old-fashioned comfort. You know? One of the sneakiest of the deep idols, where deep down what you want is to relax, to eat, to drink, to enjoy yourself. With everything around me, you know, New gadgets, new furniture, new, new. I just like it, you know? And it makes me feel good. What is that? It's comfort. And one of the really spiritually quirky things is how we will self-justify ourselves even within the realm of deep idols, you know? Meaning, a person who uses money to serve a deep idol of control will often judge and feel superior towards someone else using money to serve a deep idol of comfort. Or vice versa. Because we, need, we never think it's a problem for us. That's why. We're laying up treasures for ourselves instead of being rich toward God, and we don't even realize it. Money has, been the, has become you know, the, the currency of your sense of control. The currency of your approval and power and comfort. the antidote, you know? Well, I'll tell you what it is at first. It, it's not to just stop it, okay? Um, this, this is where we fall short in Christianity sometimes. We, we see greed in our lives or someone else's. We, we see covetousness, and, and we try to just stop it. Taking care, being on our guard, it gets simplified down to various forms of, of white-knuckle self-denial and stopping it. Doubling down on our efforts to follow Christ's example. But the problem with that is that it doesn't go deep enough. It attacks the surface idol without uprooting the deeper idol underneath it. Now, when you've laid up treasures for yourselves, treasures not of dollars and cents, Jesus isn't first and foremost concerned with your dollars and cents. When you've laid up treasures for yourself of control and approval and power and comfort, listen, only the gospel can be the antidote because only the gospel goes deep enough. Think about it, but when you are being ruled in your life by a desire for control or comfort or any others, 
You are living. Listen to what you're doing. You are living as if you are poor toward God. The gospel isn't ruling. No, no, because the gospel says, he who was rich, that's Jesus, for your sake became poor. He emptied out, not, not his pockets, he emptied out his entire life for you on the cross. Why? So that you, through his poverty, through his death, could become rich. Listen to that again. You're loaded. Not with dollars and cents, not in the eyes of the world, but rich toward God. In security, in safety, in approval, power, comfort. The eternal and ultimate kind that can only be found in Him. If you belong to Jesus, you are rich toward God. You are. The gospel says so. You don't have to worry about money and use money to lay a treasure of control and security. You're secure in Christ. The only real security that can be taken from you. I mean, money can't save you from tragedy. It can't. It never will. Become a gazillionaire. It won't save you. Not from tragedy. That's the point of the parable. Remember, fool? This night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared? Who cares about them? What good is a huge barn full of cash going to do for you? for your soul on the day that you die. Money will never give you the ultimate control you long for in this chaotic world. It can't. Only God can. And He does. Through Jesus. You don't have to work yourself to the bone to get more money so you can buy the bigger house and the better neighborhood and prove to everyone around you that you made something of your life. No, you have to The only real approval that goes deep enough to uproot all the other needs of approval in your life. God in heaven has looked upon you as one who has been united to Christ, brother and sister, and he has said, I love you. I see you. You have infinite worth and value to me, and no one can ever take that away. What more do you need? Or comfort. Listen to me. The greatest comfort is the comfort of Christ. No amount of fine food and drink and gadgetry and a sweet pad and amazing vacations and newer folk, none of that is ever going to compare to the depths and the eternal joy and satisfaction and pleasure of fellowship with Him. Communion with Him. And so if you happen to be here this morning or joining us online and you have never tasted this kind of joy, never tasted this kind of comfort and security and approval, today is the day to cash in the treasures that you've laid up for yourself and instead receive the richness of God through the gospel for you. And it doesn't cost you anything. Right, we're, not, we're not taking credit card payments at the back on the way out. This doesn't, you don't pay for it, you can't work off the balance, it's something you receive. By surrendering to Jesus. Pray, even right now, Jesus, I need, I need that. I need you because I need that. And if you're here, you have tasted this kind of joy. Here's what I know to be true of us. I know this to be true of myself. We desperately and often need to return to it. 
casts out and destroys the deep idols in our heart that are always mutating and rebuilding themselves is what Thomas Chalmers called the, the expulsive power of a new affection. Brothers and sisters, be reminded today of the riches that you have in Christ. Taking it deeper in, like asking the Holy Spirit to reveal areas where, where the, the gospel has ceased to reign and rule a little bit. Crying out to Him, to asking Him, Lord, rule there, to asking to deepen your internalization and appropriation of the gospel. Asking to continue to work at rewiring the, the motivational structures of your heart including your self-understanding, your identity, your security, your view of the world. Take care. Be on guard against all covetousness. For your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Listen, your life consists in the abundance of Christ's possession of you. You are His. He is yours. There is nothing left to lay up. He has laid it all up for you. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. You have everything you truly need in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. <laughs> Thank you that our lives don't consist in the abundance of our possessions. Intuitively, we know that. We, we, we've experienced the, the fleeting joy, the fleeting security and comfort that comes from stuff and things. And so thank you that our life consists instead in the abundance of Jesus' possession of us. Remind us now. And, and, and do more than remind the Spirit of God. Make our hearts believe. Enable and empower us to rest in all that has been laid up for us in Christ Jesus. And may the gospel be the antidote as it rules and reigns in our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.